Support for this podcast and the following message comes from KUST Campus Radio, a student-operated non-commercial radio station. KUST provides students and faculty of St. Thomas a platform dedicated to creative storytelling, diverse viewpoints, and exploring a vast array of audio content. Tune in at any time to KUST at Mixler.com slash KUST hyphen radio. Welcome to The Medium, a podcast presented by Tommy Media that's all about what's happening in the arts and entertainment world. On today's show, we talk about hip-hop samples, modern concept albums, and catch up on the latest news and releases. the studio how's it going wow i'm so happy to be back in the actual podcast studio sorry zoom just zoom can't compete <laughs> zoom is for business yeah this is also business this is, but, but this, this is, is fun this yeah <laughs> we have a stacked show today we're talking about hip-hop samplers you're talking about modern concept albums mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna talk about what's uh new what's yeah. uh, happening we've got a bunch of tidbits later on to just throw at you but we're gonna kind of dive into some music things, which is kind yes. of fun. Yes. So we're going to talk about sampling today. So I'm a big fan of sampling. I know a lot of people find uh, controversy around sampling, which I, I find interesting all in its own. But what is sampling? What is it that we're talking about here? So for anyone who has listened to any hip-hop song in the last 40 years, <laughs> has heard a sample. Quite the time frame. Yes. So the definition, as I've pulled so elegantly off of Wikipedia, because <laughs> it's the best way a to... A trusted source. Well, it's the best way to, like, word it, I guess, because yeah. sampling is very much up for, like, uh, the definition is, like, in the beholder of the eye, or in the eye of the beholder, <laughs> that's what it's called. <laughs> so a sample is the usage of any portion or sample of a sound recording in another recording. These, it's, it, these samples can but are not limited to rhythm, melody, speech, sound, and entire bars of music. So this is an example that I thought about. You know Duck Sauce with the song Barbara Streisand? Mm-hmm. That one's uh, sampled originally from bo- uh, Boney M and the Oceans of Fantasy record. And that sampled <laughs> off Night Train with the song uh, Hello Bimobon. So there's quite a few layers yeah, to that. So <laughs> when you start looking at stuff like that, you know, it's very much... There's a lot of layers, like you're saying. So, like I said in the beginning, too, there's an argument against this. Some people don't like sampling at all, and they're calling it stealing, and that it's not original. But that's uh, when I want to interject something here. Is there a hot take coming? There's a hot take coming. I think that originality, the word originality, you can't uh, use it in the context of modern music, because, let's be honest here, you're trying to reinvent the wheel to some degree then? when you're looking for originality. Instead, we should look at music and sampling as a, like, what can we do with what's already present type of thing. Like, I'll make a beat, send it to you, and then you sample my beat, and then you spin it to something that's your own. So when you look at it like that, then we're starting to look at, like, how musical genres have, uh, I don't know, influenced each other. So some influences that I thought about was that you can look at jazz, and how that's at the core of so much like contemporary music, mm-hmm. how rock influenced R&B, how disco influenced soul, and how funk and hip hop is just influenced by all of the above, right? Mm-hmm. So it's less focused on originality and more focus on let me take what you got and show me show you what I can make of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this whole like movement of sampling started in uh, 1973, and I think this is pretty cool, like a le- neat little fact. Because a lot of music you can't really like timestamp, like this is the concrete moment it happened. But with sampling, you can. Because there was an invitation that went around in the summer of 1973 in the Bronx, Bronx, New York. And it was DJ Cool Herc that uh, hosted like a block party. And what he did was, yeah, he just introduced this whole neighborhood to this new live art form, which is live sampling. And all they would do is just take samples from radios and movies and put them over like live tracks, like vinyl scratchings, mm-hmm. you know? And so this whole new art form was born, which is sampling. And some notable samples that uh, I've seen, like I saw go around once they got like put on internet, 
It's uh, Future and Mask Off. And that sample is uh, Carlton Williams and the Prison Song. And it's just that flute that mm -hmm. like lies on top of it. Uh, another one, which this is probably the sample that I consider like the most used sample. And it's uh, a French fusion band called Cortex and their uh, song Huit October 1971. And it was sampled by MF Doom on the track One Bear, Tyler Creator on Odd Toddlers, and Suicide Boys, The Harvest Moon. So very much a, uh, a versatile sample as all the, th these three songs sound completely different, mm -hmm. but they're, they're chorus in the same song. It's kind of cool though that there's like a traceable not history, but like link yeah. through all of those. Like that's like four different songs. Yeah, it's a whole new like uh, rabbit hole to go into mm -hmm, <laughs> once mm -hmm. you start doing it. And here's some of my personal favorites. It's ASAP Rocky, Praise the Lord. And you would think that a, a high profile artist like ASAP Rocky would have like some good, good beat designers, but mm -hmm. nope, that sample <laughs> is off uh, Apple Inks and the Stroll Pan Pipe 2 off the that. pack. Garage Band Jam Pack. World Garage music. Band, yeah. that's epic. Yeah, I like that too because it kind of implies that anyone can use these sounds and make something from it. Like you said, ASAP Rocky is pretty big, mm -hmm. but like I could go on Garage Band and just like take the sound and do yeah. something with it. It's literally like a 15 second sample, yeah. and it's just there for anyone <laughs> to use. He just figured out a way to use it efficiently. Mm -hmm. And coming off that uh, Wang Sap uh, realm of ASAP Rocky, Tyler the Creator, in uh, was it? 2011 that record came out? I can't remember, but I'll double check that. <laughs> Tower Creator had the track Yonkers, and here's the sample. It's a sample from an audio recording inside a factory, <laughs> and it's called Propellerhead Software, five times three, hard and soft. Epic, and it's just what like, a name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's just like little like digitalized, like Like that doesn't seem I don't know, like, I think samples can be of so many different sounds, like, that's just little, like, digit sounds, yeah. and, but it's enough to add to a song. Yeah, so it plays into really, like, the creativity of the, the artists, you mm -hmm. know, what can they do with this? I think that, um, that these beat makers, they're just, I don't know, they find inspiration in so many different places. And some of the people who've done it the best are amongst, like, Kanye, Kanye West, mm -hmm. he sampled so much music, and repurposed it. And I think it put a lot of people, especially young people, onto new music, mm -hmm. which I think is great. But someone else who did it the best, according to myself, is RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan. Because mm -hmm. if you hear, listen to that first record, it's all samples. Mm -hmm. It's 15 tracks. It's got 15 different samples. But what's even cooler is that that album has combined been sampled over a thousand times oh, on geez. its own. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and the track, or the album contains samples from movies a ton of shaw brothers movies oh, from fun. like yeah so it's from like 60s the 70s the 80s like all those movies are in on this album which i think is really cool and that contains is it um like the score of movies or like lines of dialogue lines of dialogue and oh, sound cool. effects like okay. anything so literally any sound bite is up for grabs yeah cool. any sound bite and so uh the movies that were used the most is uh or are Masters of the Flying Guillotine, Executioners from the Shaolin, 36 Chambers of the Shaolin, Five Deadly Randoms, The Mister of Chess Boxing, Ten Tigers of Kuang Tung, and The Shogun Assassin. Very cool. And so in the spirit of Wu-Tang and sampling movies, I've come up with a list where, with the best tracks that has good samples and good visuals. Nice. So we're talking music video, sample, and just the whole experience is great. Mm -hmm. So, starting with the list on number one, Ahmad Jamal with the track I'll Never Stop Loving You, sampled by J. Cole on the track ATM. Great music video, great track. Mm -hmm. Returning is the Apple Inc. one, Andrean Stroll, <laughs> Pan Pipe 2. Wow, Apple just. Yeah, ASAP Rocky, it. Praise the Lord, with. Uh, oh, who's on that track again? Is it. Uh, Skepta is on that track, yes. Pretty cool. Uh, East of the Underground, I Love You, became I, 21 Savages uh, a lot, featuring J. Cole. Lauren Hill's X Factor was sampled on Drake's Ni Nice For What, and they're both like great standalones, both the track and the music video, mm -hmm. so check out both of those. I Amber actually know the Lauren Hill song, the X Factor, I know that. Yeah. I haven't heard it with Drake, but... 
And so Drake just sampled that one and put it in oh, in his uh, Nice For What mm-hmm. beat. So Then we have Amory with Why Don't We Fall In Love on 2 Chains featuring Ariana Grande's Rule The World. And then finally, I have a 12-second sample from Scarface that made it onto Nicki Minaj's uh, Chun-Li. <laughs> that track again got sampled by Chris Rivers into the song Bruce Lee, which got sampled again by an artist called Jewel Santana on Liu Kang. So for that uh, section of songs, mm. the later artist, Chris Rivers, mm-hmm. and uh, Jewel Santana, are they using the same sample Nicki Minaj used, or are they sampling a different part of her song? They've or are they kind of going back to that 12-second sample? So they've taken the 12-second sample, plus they've taken a sample of just the whole beat. They've oh, just, okay. Yeah. Sure. So they just yeah grabbed a bunch of that. So there's my expansive list of uh, songs, videos, and samples. That's worth checking out on a little. Uh, I love that. Little quick uh, lesson on sampling. So do you, when you're listening to hip hop, do you try to catch sampling on your own, or did like, which of these did you figure out on your own? Um. So I figured out uh, the ASAP Rocky one and the Yonkers one from mm-hmm. Taylor Crate. I like researched because mm-hmm. I wanted to know where they were from. And the same with the French fusion band sample, because okay. that direction I found the sample first and then the other songs. Gotcha, gotcha. So, Because this could be a cool way to kind of expand your own knowledge about things, like start paying attention to if mm-hmm. you're hearing any overlap or just like similar beats and then seeing if there is a connection between them. Yeah, absolutely. It's like uh, I like to look at it like uh, looking at old film, mm-hmm. studying old film and then you know trying to do some stuff yourself or... It's just fun for me, at least, to see where stuff comes from. Like, mm-hmm. I'm very much a fan of the idea that, you know, you can inspire others. And that's what I think sampling is. You know, it's just inspiration. Like, Definitely. I've said, take this. Let me see what you can do with what I already did. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, if anything, it's more of a compliment to the original. Oh, like, yeah. wanting to take that and use it for inspiration instead of, like, ooh, I'm just going gonna to snatch that from you. Yeah. No, yeah, Absolutely. I think uh, even cooler is when, like, artists, they sample another artist, and then they bring that artist onto the track to, Mm -hmm. like, maybe do Mm -hmm. some lyrics or whatnot. And, yeah, it's just this very, very uh, wholesome experience of music, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with hip-hop, but just from my own music listenings, um, Billie Eilish has a song in which she brings a bunch of dialogue from The Office, like mm-hmm. some episode of that. I don't remember which one. But that's like strung throughout the song. But then her brother Phineas is her producer, and in his music he has a lot of different like sound bites mm-hmm. dropped in throughout his songs. So it's not as it's not as layered as like some of these that you found. Mm-hmm. And I think it is more embedded in hip hop in general. Um, but there are still like more more genres that use it nowadays still. Yeah, I think it's becoming more popular. Uh, I, I did see some, I know Dua Lipa is very big on sampling yeah, yeah. in her tracks. And I did uh, <laughs> a little uh, throwback to the last uh, episode, but Taylor Swift has some samples on her uh, Lover album mm, that okay. I came across. Nice. Do yeah. you remember which ones? Uh, give me a second, I'll figure it out. That's tea that I <laughs> <laughs> would like to hear. Trying to think. Well, I mean, like in one song, there's like cheerleading sounds. Mm. Let's. I don't see. know if those are general. It's a uh, London boy. That's oh. the sample. Uh, I think it's uh, it's from uh, James Corden show, where they got the sample from. Really? Yeah. Oh wow, Kayla and I, producer Kayla and I, we were singing that constantly when we were in London <laughs> back in January on our J term trip. Just there you go. Walking the streets. Now you know. Now we know samples. <laughs> Wow, that's really right. cool, though. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's uh, it's a fun thing to dive into once you get started, and it's, I don't know, very much a <laughs> hip-hop nerd type of thing. <laughs> like, I spe- but cool, though, like, it's so, I don't know, there's just so much history there. I like, music history is actually really interesting, mm-hmm. seeing how things develop, um, but then seeing that actually in practice in the songs themselves. Yeah. The, the biggest, like, sample chase that I've ever been on lasted five years. Five years? Yeah, I found this weird cipher of a New England, like, uh, rap group okay and the beat was so cool but i couldn't find it i tried shazamming it mm-hmm. and like the snapchat thing it's like no <laughs> not possible <laughs> and then last winter oh my gosh yes i scrolled the internet 
And I, I find that video again. I'm like, all right, this time I will find the sample. Yeah. And I think I scrolled through like 2,000 comments on that oh video. Gosh. And they were like, I don't know where that sample is from, but check out this link. And it leads me to this Reddit link. It's nothing. It's Reddit empty. is the dark web. Yeah, I was certain I was going to find it, but it was nothing. Keep scrolling the comment section on YouTube. Random link, press it, boom, it's the sample. No way! Yeah, and that was five years in the making, or just searching for the sample, and it's a uh, funk fusion sample from a Taiwanese band in 1974, 75. <laughs> Amazing. I have the whole thing listed on my Instagram, like as a story, like yeah. highlight, so. It's so obscure. Yeah. But that's so funny. <laughs> I love that. The amount time. of work you put into finding that. I, I'm relentless. I need to know. <laughs> Hope was not lost oh, well. for five years. <laughs> All right. Well, kind of as a segue mm -hmm. into concept albums, there's also not a strict definition, mm -hmm. um, like how you had mentioned for sampling. But I'm going to try my best to make a definition and convince you of something. This is what this is leading to. I'm going to pre present all this information just so I can talk about one of my favorite albums of all time and convince you that it is a modern concept album. So what is a concept album? Essentially, it's an extension. Well, regular albums usually are put together by a theme. They're all on that album for a reason. But concept albums kind of take that idea or a theme to the extreme. Sometimes it's just an extension where every song is related to that. Other times, though, it can take the idea of like a narrative or a story. Um, one thing I really liked is that it said it's greater than the sum of its parts. I've always been kind of an album purist and where I listen start to finish in the track order Same. as listed. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's a reason they put it in that order. But with concept albums, that's kind of even more important because maybe they're not meant to be in chronological order as the set list, but they're all leading to this kind of one dramatic overarching idea. Um, and the individual songs mean more put together than they do separately. That means, like, not that you can't listen to them separately, but they're much better in unison. And I compared that to sung through musicals like Les Mis. There's a lot of individual Les Mis songs that are great on their own, but they're all so much better in context of each other. And I think that's the best way to describe concept albums, just within the context of the album, they're, like, complete. Mm -hmm. Um, but the reason there's not a concrete definition is back in the day and like the 60s and stuff, it was more just described as uniform excellence. Like this album is so good, that is the concept of what an album should be. So more in as like a role model for other albums. But I'm talking about more of the narrative story kind of thing. So where did they begin? I've never heard this, but Woody Guthrie's Dust Bowl Ballads from, the, from 1940, I guess, was the first. It kind of just tells a bunch of tales of, like, farm Midwest struggles. <laughs> you know, I would uh, expect that from an artist like Woody Guthrie. I've yeah. listened to so many tracks, but he's mostly, in my world, known for his tagline that's written on his guitar, which is, this machine kills fascists. Amazing. So there you go. <laughs> Epic. Woody Guthrie, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, and then, I did not know this in my research, <laughs> this was interesting, Frank Sinatra is actually credited as being one of the original concept album creators. Through the 40s and 50s, all of his albums focused very much on like musical and lyrical narrative, and there was always a common thread between the songs. And I, I read that, and I was like, you know, Frank Sinatra basically credit him with 50% of the music system, whether it's like the crooner style or some of the jazz big band stuff and apparently concept albums. It's just, the dude did so much. He did a lot. <laughs> yeah. The guy was working. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, the Beach Boys and The Who had some albums that were classified under that uniform excellence idea. So theirs come up under concept albums, but I'm not sure how strict that is to the idea of like a story album, but just thought I'd shout out to them. Mm-hmm. But the turning point for concept albums when they really made a hit was the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band. Have you ever heard it or seen the movie? I have heard the record, and I've also read a book about the whole like Sgt. Pepper experience in oh, Norway okay. by a Norwegian author. So kind of familiar with that uh, album. I'm very familiar with the time 
that mm-hmm. the album came out on because Jimi Hendrix was popping off at the time. <laughs> yes, he was. And uh, yeah, I, I can see how concept albums became a thing as, you know, there was this psychedelic boom yeah. as well. Oh, <laughs> so yes, people yes. People locked in their houses listening <laughs> to albums all day. Like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Sgt. Pepper, so what it was was like the first song, which is, I believe, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, sets up this premise that Sgt. Pepper has a band and they sing around the town and the movie also starts with that and then they're implying that every song later is also sung by Sgt. Pepper not actually like the individual Beatles members Mm. Um, the movie's really fun because it has the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton weird movie but really fun shout out to my mom for introducing me to that gem Um, but it had this idea that Sgt. Pepper was this main character and everything they sang was Sgt. Pepper singing. So it was his band within the Beatles frame. It's really putting up an extra barrier to the idea of death of an author. <laughs> it, it, it literally is, yeah. The Beatles do not exist. It was Sgt. Mm, Pepper. Sgt. Pepper and the Lonely Hearts Club and Band. And the Lonely Hearts Club Band. Um, and then that moves into progressive rock and rock opera, which I think is where you're heading with that whole psychedelic age mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s. Um, I have a slew of examples. Genesis's The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, The Eagles' is Hotel California, Frank Zappa's Joe's Garage, but probably the most famous or well-known concept album is The Wall by Pink Floyd. Yes. 1979 has a movie, whole set of like art and drawings to go with it, and The Wall is probably the best way to describe a concept album. Um, It centers on the character named Pink and his story through childhood into adulthood. And it has all these different themes of like psychoanalysis relationship. Like it's it's wacky as heck Mm. and it's crazy, but it really was this new idea or not new, but just you hadn't seen that mass of a thing. The drawings and the art and the visuals for it were created in tandem with the music. And that really means, like, when you listen to that album, there are songs that you're like, you couldn't listen to this on its own. It has to be in the context. It very much tells a story. Um, There's highlights. Obviously, Another Brick in the Wall is a single of its own, Mm -hmm. as well as some from later on. But yeah, I don't know. It just, it has this overarching narrative to it. And I think that's the most crucial part of the concept album that I'm trying to describe. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's a big point to make, like you're saying that this was all made in tangent and it, uh, it really plays into like the idea of Pink Floyd, which is mm. just this very like out, out oh, there yeah. band. I mean, you could even potentially consider Dark Side of the Moon mm-hmm. to be on the edge of a concept album. Because I think all of theirs are pretty thematic yeah. start to finish. Well, if you look at any like live show that they've done or even any tribute band, because you know they're a devoted <laughs> fan base. Oh, yeah. But look at their live show. like It's spectacular. Mm-hmm. Like You have the band. You have that big circle. That's their uh, video projector. Yep. And just, I don't know, it's very much uh, you need to experience every single part of it mm-hmm. to like get the whole idea. Exactly. And I think that's why I like the wall so much out of mm. Pink Floyd's music. It's just because it does have this whole image to it. Mm. There was, they considered nearly every art form yeah. in making it. Yeah. Um, so then moving into some modern day stuff, early 2000s, MTV and music videos came around and that kind of put a stop to concept albums or at least like a hard block to them. Because mm. concept albums were starting to edge towards this movies and art and that sort of thing to go with it but music videos allows you to make a visual art form for a singular song Mm -hmm. and i mean also considering back when music videos first started a lot of them were really long michael jackson's thriller is like 11 minutes they were little short films almost so you didn't need whole albums to have a visual element with them because you could do that within individual songs Mm -hmm. but there are still a couple that stand out as concept album-like. One of them is Green Day's American Idiot. I believe it was 2004. This is mostly because of the political aspects surrounding the album. Mm -hmm. It's all very much tailored to the same thing. Another one, which I, I love this album, and I'm not sure if it's what I'm exactly trying to get at, but My Chemical Romance is The Black Parade. 
Shout out Kayla, MCR. It's a great album, and the yeah. story of it, like you could rewrite that into a book, and it would sell out. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely fantastic. I think the thing with that album, I mean, also with Grain Days, but with this MCR album, all of those songs can stand on their own. They are a lot better as a full album, but it there are like singular aspects to it at the same time, mm-hmm. which I think is where my disconnect comes in. But even so, I can't complain about that album. It's True. epic. I think uh, while we're on MCR and the Black Parade, mm-hmm. do you uh, subscribe to the idea that the Black Parade, the song, is uh, the new Bohemian Rhapsody for them? Like, oh yes, yeah. I think this album was so influential for like music going on mm-hmm. in like a whole generation that just like the oh, everyone knows those opening notes mm-hmm. of Welcome to the Black Parade, the piano. Yep iconic so good yeah so i definitely think it's a kind of newer version or like addition in this latest bohemian rhapsody Mm -hmm. vibe well then and bringing it back to taylor swift again one more time love her (laughs) uh we had mentioned folklore last week yeah as there was a few different songs on there that kind of went together as a singular narrative that whole album i don't think is a concept album but those within do make a story. So that's another example that's probably a little more well-known or depending on what music you listen to. But all of this brings me to Mumford & Sons' third studio album, Wilder Mind, came out in 2015. Hot take, for sure. Um, it's my favorite album of theirs. I don't think it's their best album. They're really well-known for their early folk stuff with the banjos and... Um, the standing basses, that sort of thing. But this album kind of diverted into alternative, a little bit of indie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not as well-known, not as well-liked as far as I know. But I claim that this is a concept album. I've been listening to it since 2015, and since then have been kind of constructing this theory, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Sit, just, sitting at home with post-it notes on I'm my not line. kidding. I... <laughs> I had a whiteboard the other night and I was like writing all the songs <laughs> with like lyrics to justify what I'm saying. Uh, but I'm gonna condense it down into this little bit. But mm-hmm. the first song, I have a track list. There you go. Written down. <laughs> Perfect. And I have a chronological order. I won't go through all of it, but I'll just lead to some notes. The first song, Tompkin, Tompkins Square Park, is the breakup. This is the song in which they break up. He's like, girl, I gotta go. And she's like, what the heck? But (laughs) they break up. But that is actually in, like, the middle of the timeline. Because as you go through the album, each song kind of informs the state of their relationship. Some of it is after that breakup. A lot of it is leading up to before. And some of it is, like, right in the exact same time frame as that breakup. And... I again, I do think that these songs can stand on their own, but some of them just wouldn't make sense. Like, it, I think that was what I struggled with the first few years listening to this album. I was like, I just don't like. What is this song trying to say? I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then when I started to connect the dots, it kind of all fit together. The important thing is each song is from one of the two people's perspective. It's either from his or from hers, and it's actually split six to six. Six are his, six are hers. Okay. And I like that that happened because it gives you insight into them as characters, what are their driving forces in their relationship as individuals, but then also into their relationship and the miscommunication of their relationship. Because overall, this album is literally about, like, the deterioration of this couple, which is, like, really sad and, like, kind of, like, aw. Bummer. Yeah, I hope they didn't sell it as that. that no, of... <laughs> well, they didn't. Like, they didn't say anything about it being a concept. Like, obviously, it was just, this is the album. It all goes together. Yeah. But, like, no, I've never heard anyone say that this is one story, which to me it so clearly <laughs> is. And that's why I don't think it's a hot take, but it might be. Um, I think probably some Mumford and, uh, Mumford and Sons fans out there. Like, all <laughs> Mumford yeah. and Sons fans. But, again, like, it's no one's favorite. I'm the only Mumford & Sons fan I know that this is their favorite. I think but maybe I a, can convince people. Yeah, you need to write this out like, out like a paper and publish this. Honestly, <laughs> I'm writing a research essay on Mumford & Sons. <laughs> nothing, nothing better than that. This is um, great. 
my main justification for it is that the songs form a narrative that are better together than separate. Again, like I, some of my favorite songs from the band in general are from this album, but as a whole, it makes sense as an album more than their other, mm, their fourth one was pretty solid um, top to bottom, but the first two, like it's just a bunch of songs and they do go together, but there's not, I don't know, like you could have switched them around and they would have been fine for me, but this one, all 12 have to be together. Um, and some like notable themes that this album has. There we go. I was like, where did I write it down? <laughs> okay, and my other justification is the themes that are throughout. One of them is the idea of abandon and not like necessarily leaving. There's a little bit of that, but like living with reckless abandon, like that kind of idea, mm -hmm. um, which is very important to his character in it. His whole reason or his side of the problem is he's like too burdened by this relationship. He needs to be free and live with abandon. And she's like, what the heck? You agreed to this. Mm -hmm. But that, like, and it's both understandable and problematic in terms of their relationship. The other theme is just being alive in general um, and wanting to live. And he thinks he has to be free to live where she's like, no, we can like live and have fulfilling lives together. Um, and then general miscommunication, the balance of self and partnership in a relationship when not in fighting, when you're breaking up, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, unless you listen to it, this probably sounds like nonsense. And you have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about, but I think it's worth a listen. I think, you're making, I think you're making a very good argument here, though. That, like you're saying, the songs, I haven't heard the album, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely going to now oh. that you made the, the statement. He. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And if if you're wrong here, I'll let you know. <laughs> it's it's about to throw down yeah. in the podcast yeah. studio. We're about to get serious. But no, I think you're making a very good argument here that the fact that the songs are better together as a cohesive story than individual songs place law into, you know, how an album functions. Because mm -hmm. like you say, we're mm -hmm. traditional listeners, you and I, so we'll listen to it one through fifteen, for example. Right. And it's very unique when you're listening to an album like that because you're actually catching the little things in between. Mm -hmm. And if listening to hip-hop has taught me anything, is that you can find a funny skit in the middle of two songs. Sure. That's why you don't skip them. Mm -hmm. So, I think... Well, I think, like, you were talking about with the sampling, how that kind of connects different songs. In concept albums, it's the same idea, but mm -hmm. just maybe it's a lyric or, like, an idea within a lyric or a story that connects it all together. Yeah. Like, we can, we can tie this back to the Wu-Tang album, and their whole concept is like, yeah, we're going to show off who we are and, like, mm -hmm. our position in, you know, the hip-hop scene and, mm -hmm. like, how they're, like, these ferocious lyricists. And the same way that Mumford & Sons are trying to portray this uh, story about this relationship through their album. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think you're on the... I think you're right here. I think you're making a I valid think statement. I am something, yeah. you guys. And I just... I like the idea of concept albums because I think it pushes artists to do more it's not obviously like writing a song and writing a whole album and putting it out there is hard enough mm -hmm. um, but for people like Mumford and Sons they were well established they had quite the following <laughs> granted they did a whole genre shift with this album but <laughs> I think that they were trying to push themselves narrative wise yeah. and I think that that's something that any artist can strive for like we said with Taylor Swift mm -hmm. now's the time for her to push a little bit we all know she's a great lyricist mm -hmm. but what can you do now going forward right right it's uh switching it up a little bit keeping people on their toes mm -hmm. absolutely i like it i've been trying to think about other concept albums uh while you were talking about this and mm -hmm. uh, just throwing it out there's uh j cole released for your eyes only which is a concept album from the perspective of a uh daughter's father so the father the father was uh, j cole's friend who passed mm -hmm. away okay and he said uh if I pass away, please let my daughter know these things. Aww. And he made the whole album about the, just that. Wow. So it goes from the story of the father until the daughter is born and the life after his passing. Oh, so J. Geez. Cole is giving like advice like that. Yeah, that's an amazing example. Yeah. It just because it kind of it removes the artist from being like the deliverer. Yeah. Almost. There's more of a character mm -hmm. that like takes over the words. Yeah, definitely. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah, um, uh, I'll have to listen to that one now. Yeah, it's a pretty good album. Like, uh, as far as a hip-hop album goes, it's very mellow, very low. Mm, mm -hmm. um, 
I was thinking about uh, Panic at the Disco too. No, granted, it's not a concept album, but it's a concept. Yes. And yes. it's more of a, a continuing story, and it's uh, uh, Death of a Bachelor. Yep. Uh, Kayla is seething. Say, say, <laughs> say amen. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's Saturday night, and it's also, uh, hold on, I got the last one here. And this is music video wise, people. Yep. So. Oh, oh, that, oh, that just reminded me. Um, the Lumineers, Cleopatra, mm-hmm. album, is part concept album. I think. Really? Yeah, because they have like four or five music videos that they like put together in a twenty-five minute video. Oh, nice. And it goes through. I think it's like at least half of them are connected. All right. Yeah. So you're uh, you're touching. Oh, we're figuring them out. Yeah. No, you're touching on the same thing that I was gonna do. So yeah. If you watch uh, Emperor's New Clothes. Mm-hmm. Death of a Bachelor and Say Amen. It's yep. Saturday night, back to back. It's one continuing story. Fun. Yeah. I, I've seen all of those, but I don't think I've no it, seen them in tandem. Because it starts with him, like getting buried. Yeah. And then yeah. he goes down to to hell. Okay. And okay. uh, there's a Death of a Bachelor. Yes. And then he wakes up, and then that's uh, Say Amen. It's Saturday yes. night, back at home in this house. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I see that now. Yeah. Very cool. So there you go. Figuring a lot of stuff out today. <laughs> we honestly, we're just gonna coin concept albums right here. Consider mm-hmm. them official. Yep. And uh, alive again, apparently. Yeah. The medium approved. <laughs> Boom. Stamp, Stamp it. it out. Yep. Dang. All right. Well, I feel like I've gone on and on about Mumford and Sons <laughs> for too long. All right. Let's. Uh, so let's we're gonna segue. Yeah. Give. Hard transition. Hard transition here, people. <laughs> Into some latest news and releases. We kind of just have a little hodgepodge of a list going here, but yes. figure we just pop off and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, after our last episode, I think it was within a few days, so mm-hmm. it's been a couple weeks now, but Eddie Van Halen died, which was sad. All the yes. rock and rollers are... I have many Crazy. fans who mm. uh, I've grown up playing guitar with, and they were huge Eddie Van Halen fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally didn't listen too much to his music, but I definitely tried to rip off some of his techniques when <laughs> I play guitar. So very big loss to the the rock and roll community, uh, the guitar community, and like the songwriters community in general. I think just like an influence too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I was not aware that he was uh, sick. So when the news dropped, I was I. Uh, quite shocked. Mm-hmm. But. So he passed. Uh, 2020 claims another life. Damn. Yeah. So uh, it's rough. I feel like there's a lot of like celebrity, famous leader deaths in any year. But in 2020, they've all just been yeah. a little harder to deal with. Absolutely. I think it's, uh, call this what you want, but I think it's very impressive that Rolling Stones are still playing yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, uh, Keith Richards even managed to quit alcohol after, you know, drinking forever. <laughs> and so, I don't know. The loss of Eddie Van Halen, it's, uh, it's big yeah. in, uh, in the world of rock and roll. Yeah. So. The next one we have, which Song actually texted this to our little group chat. Yes. The Witcher season two costume photos. Yes. They just released two pictures of Henry Cavill in his new Geralt armor. Mm. It was great. Mm, I'm so great. excited. Um, but it sounds like it's still going to be a while before we get the new content. They started filming or at least doing table reads in August, yeah. I believe. Uh, I would not mind waiting uh, until mid or late 2021 to see this. If it's going to be done, it should be done right. Yes. Uh, and based on the pictures, at least the costumes are on point. <laughs> uh, yeah. It seems like they're giving uh, Siri, just based on that one picture I saw, mm-hmm. they're giving her uh, a stronger position in the show, I think, which I think is uh, appropriate, given that she's uh, probably going to... Re- she reunited with Geralt mm-hmm. at the end of the first season. Mm-hmm. And if they're uh, following the books to any extent, she's going to start getting some, uh, some good powers. Mm-hmm. I'm excited also just for like them their relationship mm-hmm. to see how that works she obviously just lost a lot of people he's always been kind of a loner mm-hmm. um what they could do for each other but then also they have to unite with yennefer because siri was like who's yennefer and he's <laughs> like how do you know that name yeah i'm al- i'd also am curious to see how they're gonna do the timeline because the f- season one timeline was staggered back and forth mm-hmm. Geralt's was like 70 years yennefer was like 40 blah blah series was like 11 days yeah so i can't imagine that they'll try to do that again 
I honestly but don't know. But then also, they might. Like, I, yeah, yeah I'm not sure. It's uh, interesting. I think I feel like The Witcher can uh, really switch it up on you if they mm -hmm. wanted to. And be like, nope, we're going to have a completely linear timeline yeah. this time around. And then, well, well you want to jump 100 years back into the to the past <laughs> like, I just don't know what to expect come on man Jess here though I'm ready for my singing bard oh. to come back you ever seen his YouTube channel yeah <laughs> he tries Joey to bake Beatty. yep so good it's a great one um this highlight just came out the trailer for season 4 of The Crown came Ooh. out literally a day or two ago oh my gosh song I, I have never seen The Crown Okay. But my dad is a huge fan. Is he really? Yes. I do believe because I walked and he's watched it many times. I love that. And it's one of those shows that I've always wanted to watch but mm -hmm. never gotten around to doing it. Okay. So this is your chance. Sell me on this trailer Sign. and I will watch the show. Okay. The trailer. So see... Let me preface. The Crown basically follows Queen Elizabeth II when she takes the throne and her, the ensuing struggle and burden of balancing the media with who she is, with who her family is, and just the general history in that timeline. Every two seasons, they switch actors to age them up to follow, which is good. Um, season four is the introduction of Princess Di. Mm. So I'm actually on, I still have to watch the finale of season three, and they're just wrapping up this weird plot line with Charles and this other girl that he was dating, so season four is going to bring in Princess Di, and there's going to be so much drama, <laughs> and it's going to be so good. The thing about The Crown, though, is it's historical, and it's drama, so it's not very fast. It's a little slower paced, but it's political, it's rhetorical. I'm really into that. That's not everyone's mm. cup of tea <laughs> for the Brits. Um, but the acting is really good. Um, the transition between the season two and the season three actors, really good for the most part. Um, so I guess you just kind of got to try it out. Okay. See yeah. if it's your what you're into. Some of the episodes will focus on specific characters, whether it's Prince Philip or one of her kids or just her. Sometimes it's more focused on an event that happened. Um, but yeah, I think it's worth worth a try. Mm -hmm. If you get to season four, then. I'll scream about that with you. Yeah. I just Googled the crown and cinematography, mm -hmm. and it looks beautiful. Yes. Incredibly well done. Mm -hmm. um, the theme song, shout out to Hans Zimmer for Ooh, that. My boy Hans. Yeah. Just love that he's a part of it. Yeah. Um, so they dropped the season four trailer just right now. Yeah. Basically. Like just recently. And it's like a month out from the full season coming out. All so right. you, you have time. I do have time. It's 10 episodes a season. They're like 45 minutes. All right. I'll hop on that. Yes. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. It's so good. Okay. And we can have some uh, something to talk about. We'll talk about our queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also an interesting story. Queen Elizabeth, like, she's had some controversy to her mm. name, and there's a lot of stuff that's been happening with that family mm -hmm. recently, too. So, mm -hmm. Well, and they talk a lot about how her dad, his brother, abdicated mm -hmm. the throne. And that's how it got to her dad mm. and then to her. So a lot of, like, the early plot with the uncle is, like, I wasn't supposed to be queen, yet here I am. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to take that and run with it and be a good <laughs> queen. And so that's, like, it's just really interesting family and political dynamic. Nice. All right. All right, I put down this next one because I watched it the other day. Oh, no. <laughs> Have you seen this? No. All right, this is the uh, latest of... Uh, Adam Sandler's Escapades. Oh, no. Yes, indeed. Strap in. Here we go. This is Hubie Halloween. Oh, God. It's the least spooky of the spooky films. <laughs> so it's basically, and I don't know how they got away with this, but Adam Sandler's playing this, uh, I don't know what you would say, like, uh, he's not socially all, like, present. So it's kind of a, an aloof character, but okay. it borderlines on, you know, it's not exactly politically correct, the way that he portrays this oh, character. Yikes. Yeah. Well, regardless, it's an Adam Sandler movie, right. and the cast is what you would expect. You know, uh, the guy who played uh, the mall cop. Kevin James. Oh, so it's like his whole little comedy bunch. Yeah, it's the grown-up squad. You okay. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, to I be honest, I think that says enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kind of quit the film at the end because I was just like, this is 
this is it. Yeah. Yes, no. <laughs> and I think that was a mistake on my part because I looked at it as a scary movie. It's not a scary movie. It's a satire of scary movies. Sure. And for that reason, it's probably the greatest Halloween movie you'll see this <laughs> this Halloween season. Uh, regardless, it's a Netflix special. It's produced and it's on Netflix. So <laughs> if you want to watch a satire of a scary movie, Hubie Halloween is your choice. But if you want to watch an actual scary movie, stay away. <laughs> Honestly, I'll stick to the regular horror. Yeah. But... Hey, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought that this was very, uh, it was interesting because Adam Sandler just came off the Uncut Gems movie. Which, which I heard was actually great. Really, yeah, good. It was really good. And then he dropped this and I'm like, dude, can you just try and be consistent? <laughs> like, I Maybe used... he thinks he's being versatile. Uh, maybe. I don't know. He's doing something right and he's also doing <laughs> something wrong. So I guess that just makes him human. Just questionable. Yeah. yeah. Following that up, um, this is for all my food show fans. If you uh, are been you on... a food show fan? Oh yeah, big food. <laughs> I used to work in the kitchen. Okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, so I watched that a lot. So, <laughs> somebody feeds Phil is getting released on Netflix season four on October thirtieth. Uh, on the October thirty first, Netflix is releasing The Twelfth Man, which is a World War Two movie about Norwegian saboteurs. So you know I had to throw that one in there. Oh, I will watch that. Yeah, for it's sure. also directed uh, by. Uh, Harold Swart, mm-hmm. and he's from uh, the town just 20 minutes away from me. So No way. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. So there you go. And then uh, finally what I put up was uh, Bryson Tiller released his uh, anniversary. It's not an anniversary album. It's an album called, called. Anniver- Anniversary. <laughs> so. A little trippy there. But yeah. Respect. So that's a couple of mine. All right. And then I just added this today. I don't actually know how true this is. I saw it kind of right before we started. I didn't have time to verify. But something about all three previous Spider-Mans coming together in the last Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. So that means Tobey Maguire, the OG, <laughs> and then Andrew Garfield will appear as their respective Peter Parkers alongside Tom Holland. Supposedly, they're going to have Doctor Strange do some of his lovely magic mm-hmm. and bring them together in a live-action Spider-Verse kind of vibe to establish the Spider-Verse in the MCU, because we had um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse like mm-hmm. a couple years ago now at this point. It's gotta be two, two years. I think it was the end of 2018 yeah. that came out. Um, and that's an animated about Miles Morales, who's Spider-Man in his world. Yep. And it brings in a couple different Peter Parkers. It brings in um, like the noir Spider-Man <laughs> and like Peter Porker. Yep. Um, and it was really fun <laughs> and it was really good. But I'm surprised they're actually going to do this. This is, uh, I would call this the marvelist of Marvel moves. <laughs> Hiring two of the actors that Hollywood refuses to hire <laughs> in Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Uh, Tobey Maguire is my Spider-Man. Yeah, he is the Spider-Man. If you have not seen the first original Spider-Man, go watch that and then we can talk. <laughs> All, but the problem is I'm just going to want him to act like he does in the third when he's like part venom. Oh yeah. And he's like doing the weird dancing yeah, on the street. Doing the pistol fingers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well it's interesting that they did uh Toby McGuire, Andrew Garfield, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Tom Holland. Quite a crew. Quite a crew. It's uh, two of the people that no one wants to hire and two of the people that everyone loves that to see on screen. Is <laughs> in like every single thing. Yeah. That's cool. I'm definitely gonna watch this. I love yeah. Spider Man. I have uh, been a big Spider Man fan growing up. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think um, Tom Holland is the best suited to the Peter Parker character out of the three. I have actually seen those because I do like Mm Spider-Man as a hero. Um, But also with Doctor Strange, are they just going to like sprinkle him in whenever they think it's necessary? Well, you can. I I mean, you can, (laughs) but Benny Batch is just going to have to like show up to all these movies for like a week. Be like, okay, fine. (laughs) Just open a portal. It's true. I wonder if they will do that because I feel like I he's going to be more, be more active. He's this, not even going to have like, he's going to have one more movie, I think. And that's um, what... Yeah, they're making a second yeah. Doctor Strange and then I don't know what passes. Oh, we'll that. see. I mean, the dude, again, he's busy enough, but might as well don the cape for a hot second. Yeah. Uh, I wrote uh, two more points here. I'm going to start with the last one yeah, first. Yeah. So Disney and Pixar, they work together on uh, the movie Soul. And if you haven't heard about it, it's about, uh, I think he's a music teacher, and Mm -hmm. he uh, 
gets in an unfortunate accident and he passes on to the afterlife. Uh, that was originally going to be released in this summer, mm-hmm. uh, in July. And then they said, no, 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 we're going to put it off until November. And then just today, they said, no, nope, we're going to wait until Boxing Day, December 25th, to release it on Disney+. Plus." Mm-hmm. So a lot of people who expected this movie in November, kind of disappointed that they got pushed off. But again, like we said with uh, The Witcher, if they're pushing it off, hopefully it's for the better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last Netflix release I'm going to talk about, because our wonderful producer Kayla has mentioned it to me, I'm yet to see it. It's questionable if we will see it. It's questionable if we will see it, but I wanted to include it here because it got some mixed reviews, and some of these headlines are hilarious to yeah. me. And so it's Emily in Paris. It was released on October 8th, and it got so many mixed reviews. It's all over my Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is and so Emily in Paris. I'm going to read you a couple of headlines here. Oh, this one, please do. The first one is from The Guardian. I'm going to do the lead here, too. Emily in Paris Review, an excruciating exorcism of French cliches. Reputedly a comedy drama, the latest from the creators of Sex and the City, is a little more than an excuse for Lily Collins to (laughs) espouse the American way. Here's the next one from NPR. Emily in Paris, a painless and pretty frolic, and that's about it. Vox uh, reports a seducive <laughs> absurdity of Netflix Emily in Paris. The series is a boomer's fantasy of a lazy millennial's life. No. <laughs> uh, if you go to IMDb, you just see tons of comments about people being like, well, how can they be allowed to portray French people like this? And who, who goes to a restaurant for lunch every day? And it's just a lot of holes in the plot. Here oh, and just, yeah. People, it's, I think it's one of those shows that people will love to hate. Yeah. Well, and we'll hop on the board of watching it just yeah. to know what's up. Like, that was like the whole Tiger King thing. Yep. Everyone was watching it because everyone was talking about it. And then it just, like, fed off of that mm-hmm. and just kept building. So, yeah. That's, uh, that's the latest news and releases. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good point to... Uh, Start winding it down. I mean, I'll keep talking about Wilder Mind. You don't have to add. No, yeah, I think that's good for today. Yeah. Um, Good music episode. Yeah, very good music episode. Uh, Hopefully it uh, made some sense. We get uh, caught up in our respective themes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think I'm going to call it here and uh, go home. See ya. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.